Live from the WTAD studios in the Lincoln Douglas Building in downtown Quincy, it's time to pull up a chair and assemble today's WTAD News Roundtable. in behind your desks or your steering wheels, wherever it is that you're tuning in to the News Roundtable. Good morning. My name's Quaid. Uh, we're back at it. It's uh, the Monday edition. Thank you for being here. Uh, I want to first off uh, thank everybody for turning out to uh, Dancing with the Local Stars uh, on Friday. Uh, if you remember, uh, the gentlemen in the studio were commenting on how snazzy I was dressed uh, for the, the, that particular event. Uh, Friday night, good time had by all. Place was packed. Did you win? I I was I told you I wasn't dancing. I didn't I didn't win anything other than I won a delicious meal and was entertained for several uh, uh, hours. There were uh, fourteen different couples uh, that danced, but uh, Connie Phillips and Drew Quintero uh, took uh, away the big disco balls uh, uh, statues uh, uh, trophies at the uh, end of the night, and they were fantastic. Uh, did a little uh, uh, Mary Poppins number, and it was it was uh, done quite well. So, but but everybody was uh, entertaining. Uh, everybody had a good time and raised money for uh, Cornerstone. So that was it was a good night uh, all the way around. So what, was there a Cockney everybody. accent as bad as Dick Van Dyke's was? <laughs> um, the they weren't. They were dancing. Uh, they weren't talking or saying you know lines from the movie. They were they were dancing. So. Step in time was the so no you didn't uh. you didn't necessarily focus on Dick Van Dyke's Cockney accent you were you, you watching dance and that they did I mean a that's a good number if you remember Mary Poppins when they're dancing on the roof and going through that, that that's what they did right and they were fantastic at it so uh, if you get a chance uh, and you haven't been before it is a good night uh, of uh, fun watching everybody dance and uh, have a good meal help out a, a good cause. Uh, for Cornerstone. And uh, congratulations to uh, uh, Chris Kutcher, who won the Humanitarian uh, Award uh, Friday night as well. So thanks again to everybody who came out and enjoyed uh, that. We hope to see you there uh, next year. Coming up on the back half of the show, it was a busy weekend for Governor Pritzker. Uh, he was in D.C. on Friday and uh, announced to Politico that uh, we were going to have to get extra revenue uh, here in the state, surprise, or uh, uh, we're going to have to cut the budget by 15%. And I don't know if that's a promise, if that's a threat. I'm not exactly sure. The governor also wrote an op-ed that got picked up by Cranes where he makes the case for the graduated progressive fair tax that we're all going to have to vote on. Uh, in November. So we'll uh, look through his op-ed and uh, also cover what he said to Politico, which, by the way, you can find that article at the Center Square section at WTAD.com if you want to check it out before we dig into it partially on the back half of the show. But first things first, it's 1010. In with all the latest from the WTAD newsroom, say good morning to Scott Hart. Good morning, Quaid. Good morning, everybody. The Quincy Public Schools Board of Education has approved a contract extension for teachers that goes into effect if voters approve a referendum next month. 
QPS board approved the extension this morning, while the Quincy Federation of Teachers Local 809 approved it last week. The extend, it's an extension, rather, to the existing collective bargaining agreement that will take effect if voters pass a 53-cent property tax hike on March 17th. The contract was set to expire next June 30th, but will now go to June 30th of 2023 if voters approve. In December, the QPS board voted to put the 53-cent property tax referendum on the ballot. If passed, QPS says the referendum would generate about $5.3 million a year. District says the money would cover the cost of new state mandates of a $15 per hour minimum wage and a $40,000 minimum teacher salary. QPS says the the terms of the agreement will enable them to meet those new state mandates. Culver Stockton College has found who it wants to run the college after the retirement of current president, Dr. Kelly Thompson. Culver announced this morning that its board of trustees elected Dr. Douglas Palmer as its 27th president on Thursday. Dr. Palmer will start at the school July 1st and replaces Dr. Thompson, who's retiring June 30th. Dr. Palmer has served as provost, vice president of academic affairs, and dean at Walsh University in North Canton, Ohio, since 2015. He was acting president for a part of 2018 during a medical leave taken by the school's president. Statement from Culver says that while Dr. Palmer was at Walsh, he directed the building design planning and assisted with the development and fundraising for the school's $11.4 million Global Learning Center, which opened in 2018. Culver Stockton is raising funds with plans to build a similar center. A reception to introduce Dr. Palmer and his family to the Culver Stockton community will be held at a later date. A Quincy-based organization that supports children is named its latest award winner. Advocacy Network for Children recently announced that this year's recipient of the Clarice Hetzler Advocacy for Children Award is Sherry Santani. She served as a CASA volunteer for 20 years, and during that time, she spoke on behalf of 12 abused or neglected children in the court system. Two of those cases were open for five years. The award is named after Clarice Hetzler, who retired from the agency in 2016 after 18 years. According to advocacy, the award is given to an individual or business who is a true advocate for abused and neglected children. The award was first awarded to Hetzler in 2017 after her retirement. Other recipients include Bob Bergman, a CASA volunteer in 2018, and Adams County State's Attorney's Office uh, Representative Terry Gibson in 2019. That award will be presented at the agency's annual fundraising dinner March 6th at the Ambiance in Quincy. In other news, the Northeast Missouri County will be recognized today for its residents' safe driving. Shelby County is one of three counties in Northeast Missouri which had zero fatalities on Missouri roads last year. They'll be recognized by the Northeast Coalition for Roadway Safety for the On the Road to Zero program. It's the second year in a row Shelby County has had zero fatalities. That'll take place at a meeting of the Shelby County Commission in Shelbyville this morning starting at 11. Several safety partners will be at that meeting, including representatives from the Missouri State Highway Patrol, both North Shelby and South Shelby Schools, Mark Twain Regional Council of Government, the Shelby County Health Department, and the Missouri Department of Transportation. And Quincy police say that a Quincy man's been arrested on accounts of threatening someone with a firearm, fleeing from the scene, and domestic disturbance. He's identified as 54-year-old Patrick McColez. Police say they responded to a call shortly before 1 p.m. Sunday in the 300 block of South 8th Street. Officers found that McCullis had battered another person there. He's accused of threatening that person with a firearm and then fleeing. They w- Police say that they conducted a surveillance nearby, thinking that McCullis would, would return, and when he did, they arrested him. He faces charges of aggravated assault and domestic battery. Officers say they recovered a loaded firearm during a search of the man's vehicle. That is a look at the latest in local news. Of course, we'll have more for you throughout the afternoon right here 
on WTAD.com and on our social media pages, including both Twitter and Facebook. And you mentioned uh, that the contract uh, will, will go into effect if the referendum uh, is passed. If it's not, if it's voted down, what happens then? They will renegotiate based on revised revenues. Okay. Do they have, uh, do, are you aware if there's any uh, type of uh, uh, work towards that just in case? Uh, is there ongoing, or are we just sitting and waiting now until that vote? Uh, or do we have some things in place that we you can start a, from as far as negotiation? A contingency plan for if it yeah. doesn't? Yeah. Uh, that is a good question. Don't know the answer to that one. I would assume that the planners with the school district would have something in their minds. I don't know if it's been put down on paper, if it's been discussed with the union or not. And uh, again, the the increase from the referendum, just so everybody's aware, this would cover all of the increases that are coming. We talked about uh, the uh, uh, minimum wage going up to 15 and the teacher minimum wage salary going up to 40. It doesn't go all at once. There are step increases. Right. This referendum would cover all of those. And the additions to current staff's contracts who aren't affected by the state mandates. Right. So it's all it's an all-at-once thing. It's not a we're going to keep coming back around and doing this each time. Because it's supposed to go up for the next three right. years. Right. right. At right. least At least through 2023. All right. Thank you very much, sir. It's 1016. We'll take a time out. When we come back, Governor Pritzker's op-ed in Cranes and what will happen uh, if or what the governor says will happen if the uh, voters do not vote for the progressive graduated fair tax in November. We'll we'll talk about that next on the News Roundtable. W.T.A.D. Do you hear the Neil Young style of playing guitar influence on Jay Maskus there? Yeah. 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 It's... I've been a Jay Maskus fan uh, for a while, but about the time I was uh, uh, getting into Jay Maskus, I was also getting into Crazy Horse. It's very easy to hear the the influence there on that particular guitar style. Welcome back to Nerd Music Talk. It's 1020 on the Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Uh, Welcome back to the News Roundtable. Over the weekend, Governor Pritzker penned an op-ed that Cranes picked up. It's essentially the in-between piece between the state of the state and the budget speech that he's supposed to deliver a week from Wednesday. And it, it, it essentially picks up right where you where you think it would very state of the statey we've got work to do we've done this and our state won't be defined by its fiscal woes but its unapologetic promise to stand on the side of its working families is very much out of the state of the state and then he goes on to say this is what we've done a b c d e f and g um, and he touts the optimism that uh, resounds here in the land of lincoln and then there's a big but 
right in the middle of his piece. But, he says... You cannot lie? <laughs> I was waiting on that. I was waiting. But, he says, I, we have important challenges ahead of us. Uh, he says, including continuing to work to improve our long-term stability of our state's finances and address the underfunded state pension plans, lowering the property tax burden on Illinois homeowners, and strengthening our state education funding so we're no longer last in the nation, which I find fascinating uh, that we're last in the nation in funding education. I, uh, uh, I thought that we had gone through this and expressed that we spend more per student than our neighboring states, and yet aren't seeing the fruits of that funding coming through in our students' ability uh, throughout uh, school. The governor continues. Let's, I know that I was having trouble with that statement, but let's uh, move on. He says, to put Illinois back on firm fiscal footing, we must make some hard choices. And then he breaks it down to just three choices, some hard choices of these three feasible options. There are only three. Uh, and I think it's interesting, the three he chose and the order he put them in. Number one, raise income taxes on everyone by raising the flat tax. This is a nod to the fact that we're not covering our bases. Remember, we had a balanced budget, or so the governor says. So everybody uh, congratulated themselves last year, even though we found out after the fact, yeah, really, wasn't balanced the way it was supposed to be. Uh so he's acknowledging that, well, we're going to have to raise rates, ta income tax rates, uh, on the flat tax. Uh, that's option one. Number two, option two, cut schools, universities, public safety, mental health, and addiction treatment drastically. Now, I find it fascinating that these are the one, two, three, four, five things he chooses to focus on here. So it's raise the rates. Uh, even though apparently we, we, we balanced a budget last year. Number two, uh, or cut uh, these funds for these particular things. Or there is a third option, by the way. Do you know where I'm going with this? Do you know where he's going with this? Option three is raise rates only on the wealthy, you see, while giving the middle class a tax break. Governor Pritzker says, I choose option three. Ta-da! It's the fair tax. Ickety-ackety-oop, it's solved. He goes on to point out that the fair tax is what a vast majority of states and the federal government use. But we here in Illinois don't because, well, we're not cool like the, the other kids. Uh, he says the uh, wealthiest residents have enjoyed a 50-year run while middle class and working class people are. And, and this is where we get into the, the word games of all of this. A higher tax burden while the richest pay a much lower tax burden. He follows those uh, terms up with, in fact, in fact, he says today in Illinois, the lowest earners in our state pay 14% of their income in taxes, while the wealthiest people in our state pay only about 7%. I thought we had a flat rate. Didn't he mention that there was a flat rate? If, it, if we have a flat rate, the lowest earners are paying 14% of their income in taxes, and the wealthiest are only paying 7%. That doesn't sound flat. I, I, I thought that, or are they only paying a percentage of the flat? I'm not sure 
how that works, and he doesn't really get deeper into explaining it. He does. He says, "I don't. I believe this isn't fair." He says, "Wealthy people should, uh, like me, should pay more to help balance our state budget." All right, do it. Make that case. Make the case to the wealthiest in our state to donate more in taxes. Doesn't have to be a constitutional amendment for that. Make the case that those who make the most should. Pay it forward to the government more, right? Donates more. There's, there's nothing in the law that says you can't. If that's the burden that the wealthiest among us have, then make the case that they should pay it forward voluntarily, willfully, instead of making it a law. And by the way, uh, as he points out, he says, I asked the General Assembly to move the constitutional amendment because it would allow us to more permanently stabilize the state's finances, pay our bills, make our pension system more secure, and invest in the future while allowing middle-class families to pay less. If you remember, the original plan has the majority of taxpayers in the state paying the same or a little bit less while asking a lot more of the top two or three percent however what's not mentioned in this is the numbers aren't fixed these numbers are just a starting point you see i'm going to give you a tax break for you middle and working class families it's the wealthy who need to be taxed more are those numbers cemented in place no no there it's a fluctuating number it's just a starting point you see and once this is implemented with nothing concrete in place it's essentially uh like a floating mortgage that can go up or down not based on the economy no 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 based on what the state needs to balance its budget essentially our income tax will become the thompson center whatever we need to get from a what we've budgeted to b what we're bringing in We'll raise the rates to whatever will cover that. That doesn't get mentioned in here. He just says we're going to raise the rates on the wealthy. That's only the starting point. It's only the starting point. If if this were the answer, ask the governor to cement the plan. By the way, you're going to need more than a simple majority of us to get this passed. This pitch is going to come at us long and strong over the next eight months. Uh, and interestingly, the governor says the bulk of homeowners' local property taxes, because he says we have a serious problem with property taxes, and he's right. He says the bulk of homeowners' local property taxes, 60% on average, the governor says, goes to fund local schools. Okay. He says if the state does more to pick up its share of school funding, property taxes can then go down. You see, we need to tax more to untax you more, to save more. <laughs> he says if the state does more to pick up its share of school funding, property taxes can go down. Well, where's the state getting that money? Is it getting its money from, I don't know, the people of the state? He says, so the governor says, I began to make that shift by increasing the state's share of school funding. So can schools depend on the state following through on that? I'm listening. Anyone? Yeah, he says the next largest property tax driver is municipal and first responder pension funds, which, by the way, he goes on to say, we fixed all of that, right? Or I, is it still an issue? I believe it's still an issue. You've taken a step. It's a good step. 
but there's more to be done. He says, lastly, our bipartisan Rebuild Illinois Capital Program provides hundreds of millions of dollars directly to local governments for transportation infrastructure and buildings that otherwise would be paid for from property taxes. That's right, gas taxes and a variety of fees were raised to do this. Taxes are high. So we need to raise taxes to lower taxes. Don't you see? Don't you get it? To lower your local taxes, we need to raise state taxes. It's as simple as that. And you should vote for it. Open-ended so that those numbers can be changed to whatever needs to be done to balance the budget. By the way, he told Politico, he being Governor J.B. Pritzker, billionaire, I own a mansion and a yacht, that if voters don't approve the progressive income tax this number this November, uh, Governor Pritzker said 15% cuts in state spending would be needed across the board. Is that a nod to how much we're overpaying, or is that just a random starting number? I need more thorough uh, dive on, on this. Hello, wire points. Hello, Adam Schuster breakdown. That's what I'm looking for. Stay tuned. We've got a long way to go between now and and November. This conversation and this pitch has just begun. That's the Monday edition of the News Roundtable. We'll be back here tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. You should be here, too. The News Roundtable will reconvene tomorrow morning at 10.06 a.m. on AM 930 WTAD. Podcast available online at WTAD.com.